Hello and welcome everyone to Truly Noted. Uh, my name is Drew Orland and this little project of mine is uh, something I started at the beginning of the pandemic and it's been a little while. I took a break, um, but I can think of no better person to come back from my little hiatus from than with our guest today. Um, today's guest is a wonderful friend of mine. We were former, former roommates, former uh, teammates, former fellow students. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to him today. I hope if you're listening to this, maybe you know him or me or both of us. And uh, also, I hope maybe this is something we can listen to in the future. And so hello to future us as well. Uh, but most importantly, hello to my guest, the one and only Connor Madden. Welcome, Connor. Hey, Drew, how are you doing? <laughs> thank you. Great. It's great to have you. Um, I want to say first and foremost, thank you for being so patient. <laughs> I've been promising you that I wanted to talk to you, and that was not a lie for, for quite a while. Um, but here we are. And uh, thank you for giving your time. I, I know you're kind of busy right now, so I appreciate you uh, making the time for me. That's Drew's very polite way of saying that I have bothered him for the last year <laughs> to let me be a guest on his podcast, uh, and I'm very happy to be here as well. Awesome. Yeah, and the other thing is you are helping me sort of complete the quadfecta of our, our little roommate group, so um, putting a nice little bow on on that, and uh, so now we'll, we'll have this for the records uh, for the foreseeable future, and to me, this, this kind of like podcast project thing is... It's fun. I'm already like getting to go back and listen to some of the stuff I did back at the beginning of the pandemic and laughing at some of the things I said and <laughs> what I thought was going to happen. And so um, I'm sure that'll be great. So yeah, I will say to pre yeah. to prepare for my uh, appearance today, I did go back and listen to the other roommates uh, podcast appearances. Uh, I will not claim the same co-host status that Blake tried to claim during <laughs> his. I will let that be solely your peer view. I'm I'm happy to be just a guest. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. I uh, yeah. I you remember better than I do, but that sure does sound like Blake. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, before we jump into it, um, how is your day slash week slash month going? Uh, the beginning of April here. Going well. Uh, this is the time of year when we are gearing up for the start of law school exams uh, and the writing of papers. So it's sort of a transition from the learning part of the semester to the demonstration of what I learned part of the semester, uh, which is more stressful, I think, in the first year, but continues to be at least some, you know, base minimum level amount of stressful moving forward. So uh, that's what the next six or so weeks of my life look like. Sure. So I, that's a, a great sort of transition to uh, if if someone listening doesn't know, uh, what are you up to these days? And uh, I think you kind of hinted at it, but uh, you could tell us a little bit about law school and uh, and where you are in the process and, and what that's like. Sure. So I'll I'll talk about what I'm doing as long as you promise me you'll talk about what you're doing as well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you but... had to have known that I was going to turn this back on you. Um, <laughs> you go right for it. Now I'm a, sure. I'm a second year law student at the University of Texas. Uh, and that's also where I did my undergrad, obviously, because Drew and I were undergrad roommates for four years, um, but they were kind enough to have me back to do another three-year stint uh, at the law school. And so I am just over halfway done. Awesome. And uh, I think you touched on it briefly, but how would you rank uh, second year as, as opposed to first year so far? The The first year of law school is notoriously difficult and stressful. Part of that is because 
the way that you go through recruiting with uh, firms and with various uh, nonprofits that do legal work, um, you have a lot of those opportunities only during your first year going into the second year. And so the grades that count toward that recruiting process are 80 plus percent weighted from that first year instead of from the subsequent two. Uh, so it just puts a lot of pressure on new law students as opposed to people who have been doing this a while, uh, sure. a little bit unusually. So that was sort of what I was alluding to earlier, that the second year is at least less stressful. Um, whether or not it's less difficult sort of remains to be seen, but sure. but it is less stressful just because you feel like you you have a proof of concept and you're more familiar with what you're doing, uh, you know. Ideally, at this point, you've already secured some sort of summer employment for this coming summer, too. <laughs> sure. um, so you're just in a little bit more secure headspace. Nice. So it sounds like uh, law school is kind of a steep learning curve and then a little bit easier as you go through it. Is that hypothetically anyway, <laughs> I think I think the steep learning curve probably continues not just in law school, but into your professional life as sure. a practicing attorney <laughs> afterward. Um, and I'm sure that people who are 10 or 15 years into practice will tell you that that learning curve has never gotten easier for them to climb up as they've progressed. Uh, but you at least feel like you've got one of those 35 plus years of experience behind you after the first year of law school. So. Sure. Well, if I understand the job of a lawyer, you just kind of walk around in a courtroom and point at people and, and try and trip them up and uh, talk all sweet to the jury. That's that's what all lawyers do, right? You know, I wish it was. <laughs> I think that uh, the the best kind of lawyer you can be is one on TV, I think, as far okay. as, uh, you know, getting fun cases and getting to do the, the fun sorts of things in court. Um, I will say that the trial attorneys that I've talked to in my brief time, you know, working in law offices... Uh, will tell you that it's the most fun that they have um, in any aspect of their professional career is getting to go in in court uh, and yeah. actually litigate. So, you know, it, definitely stressful. But I think for them, it's sort of like when professional athletes are sort of stepping onto the field, cleats on, pads on, sure. uh, because it's when they actually get to go sort of perform their craft and compete against other people. Sure. That's a, that's interesting. So at at this point in the, the, the second year, uh, you kind of touched on um, – uh, you found maybe employment uh, temporary or otherwise, maybe going forward. Uh, feel free to tell me if if you don't want to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> what uh, where are you at it in that sort of cycle? And uh, um, what are you? What kind of law are you interested in? What what what's what's interesting to you about law school right now? Sure. Um, well, for this coming summer, so in you know about six weeks when we finish up with this semester. Um, I'll be coming back to Dallas to start a summer clerkship at a firm called Haynes and Boone. Um, there, I think by number of attorneys, the, the largest legal practice in Dallas. Oh, wow. And they do sort of all different kinds of legal work. Um, it's in a lot of ways, a one-stop shop for, uh, various legal services that can be provided primarily to corporate clients, uh, but also to individuals as well. Um, what I'm interested in doing is litigating, um, what shape that will take sort of remains to be seen, but the, the two main groupings that you can fall into after the first year of law school, you can sort of informally declare a preference for transactional law practice or litigation. And the transactional oriented people are doing more contracting work. Uh, it's more sort of the business negotiation side of things. Sure. And then the litigators are the ones drafting legal documents and going to court. And 
I was able to take an advocacy survey course last semester, which is sort of a practicum course where you're in a fake courtroom at the law school, um, drafting up documents, creating arguments, and then arguing them in front of your classmates, professors, oh, cool. and then actual judges at both the state and federal level that they'll bring in to sort of act as they would in a real courtroom and and hold you to account the same way that they would attorneys arguing during a real proceeding, which is, has, that was a really cool experience uh, and definitely sort of solidified my interest in doing litigation. That's cool. I I hadn't heard about that class that you've taken. Um, I will say I, I know that fake courtroom at the law school uh, because of uh, something that you and I were both a part of at UT, and maybe this is a good segue as well. Um, but Connor and I were both in this group called Spirit of Shakespeare, made up of mostly uh, College of Liberal Arts students. Um, but each year we would take a, a Shakespeare play that was being, uh, we didn't choose it. It was kind of based on this touring Shakespeare group that would come to campus every year. And so we would just do whatever they were doing. Um, but we take like Hamlet and crunch it down into like a little 30 minute segment. Or when you and I did it, I think it was a Midsummer Night's Dream. And so, yeah, that's one of my favorite things that I got to do at UT. And that's 100% because of Connor, uh, because you uh, dragged me to it one time. And I was like, sure, I'll check it out. And uh, it ended up being a an interesting group of people, uh, but definitely uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure it's a surprise to absolutely no one that the Shakespeare group had some characters in it, <laughs> as far as just the personalities that were drawn to this sort of organization. Um, my favorite part about what we were able to do there is... Um, I think for a lot of people, Shakespeare in particular is a not very accessible art mm. genre. And if you have the opportunity to dive into it and personalize it, there really is a lot of learning to be had there and a lot of richness there. And I think that what our organization did well is make those things accessible to groups of people that otherwise would not have had that window. Sure. Um, I know one of the things we did is we went to a nursing home to perform for mm. elderly people. That's right. Um, and they were one of our most enthusiastic crowds. <laughs> and then at least once a year, we would perform for a group of elementary school students who came to UT um, as part of a campus-wide effort to get people more interested in pursuing higher education. And they always loved it too. Um, and so I thought that that was we served as a nice bridge between the Londoners, the actors from the London stage, which is what Drew was talking about earlier, these professional performers and groups of people who never would have thought to go see them perform in a professional setting. Sure. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I'd forgotten about the nursing home, but yeah. Um, I think you mentioned we would perform on this uh, every year. There was like an explore UT day where all these uh, young elementary, middle school age kids would come, come to campus and uh, we would perform for them. It, that was in the fall, I think. And then the spring is kind of what reminded me of that. We would perform at the law school. And I remember every year performing once for the kids. And, you know, they just laugh anytime you say, like, I bite my thumb at the or something like funny like that. And, you know, it's less about the story and more about the, the energy. Uh, and then we'd go perform at the law school. And then after we'd perform and then afterwards this panel of distinguished professors would get up and be like let's talk about what this play says about the meaning of justice and i was always like man i think the kids were a better crowd <laughs> i feel less intimidated by them yeah, yeah two things i'll say in response to that uh, the first one is when we were doing these pseudo court proceedings for my class last semester i think that the 
fake courtroom setting was pretty intimidating to people that were in my class. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because I had the backdrop of, you know, sort of the ghosts of undergrad us past running around the room (laughs) in funny costumes and doing Shakespeare things, it really didn't feel like a very intimidating setting to me, which was probably a benefit. Uh, And the other thing that I'll say is sort of a plug for people who may have access to this now and moving forward is that our group was um, definitely sort of the B or C team of Shakespeare performers on UT's campus. And the A team would have been the people that take an entire semester to do Shakespeare at Winedale. Mm -hmm. And I've known multiple people who have done that. And if you get the chance to go out to Winedale and see these UT undergraduate and liberal arts graduate students perform, you should definitely do it. Um, It's a, a barn that's on a ranch that was gifted to the university some time ago. And they do, I mean, full costumes and they typically do the full length performance. And it's just a really genuinely fun thing to go be a part of. It's also BYOB. So, you know, if you're of drinking age and can get a designated driver out there, um, would recommend that as well, because it's a fun way to watch Shakespeare even, you know, if you don't bring friends with you, but it's even more fun if you can get a, a big group to go and enjoy it together. Sure. I will say um, that's one of the things I regret is that I was never able to make it out there uh, for one of those. But it always to me sounded like, you know, you could go see Shakespeare in like a fancy concert hall or something and like, no, no problem with that. Uh, but it always sounded to me like that's a lot more. I mean, when you hear when you read about sort of what it was like in Shakespeare's day, where it's just like a crowded, noisy theater and people are eating and throwing food at the actors and stuff. It's like, oh, I'm picturing just everybody drunk and raucous and barely can hear the actors and stuff. So um, not to say it's that, but maybe a little bit closer to it. Um, well, I do feel like I have an informed perspective to offer. Um, while I was studying abroad and oh, yeah. we made sort of a trip to London, um, one of the things I really wanted to do after that semester that we did midsummer for Spirit of Shakespeare uh, was go and see a performance at the globe Mm -hmm. and at the globe they were doing midsummer. And so I was, I mean, super excited to, (laughs) to go and see it. Um, and the way they had done it was they had sort of rearranged the love triangle, uh, at the crux of the story. Um, so that instead of there being two women and one man, there were two men and one woman and it, it added this whole comedic effect to the entire performance that was really entertaining. Um, and I bought a ticket to stand on the ground because, you know, if you're going to do it right, you, you want to be a groundling, which are these, these people Drew was alluding to earlier, which were the people who couldn't afford seated tickets back in the day. And mm-hmm. so would stand in front of the stage for the entire duration of the performance. And they will kick you out. If you sit down, you're not allowed to sit because it's a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. And so I stood there through the entire performance and it was, delightful. I would recommend that to anyone too. That said, I would say that that's the second best Shakespeare performance I've seen after the Shakespeare at Wyndale performance. Oh, wow. That's a big props. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things about uh, being at UT is it was kind of simultaneously, you get the, all the fun of like having the giant state school and like big football games and all the, like the fun that comes with that. And then you kind of find your little communities on campus, like, uh, and they can be as niche as you want. And there's, there's somebody who's interested in the same stuff as you. And even if you weren't even like, I was never intending to find that, that, but that ended up being like a really fun thing I got to do all four years. Um, 
And I guess that kind of leads me into a question I had, which um, I, you got to do a lot of cool things at UT. Uh, maybe you can't rank them, but uh, do you have a favorite or a few favorite things that you got to do? Well, I think what we were just talking to talking about is a good segue into at least one of the things I'd like to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I did one semester uh, of involvement with the Normandy Scholar Program, mm-hmm. uh, which is through the history department at UT. Um, and it's one of the things that actually brought me to UT as a student in the first place. Um, I was at a Plan 2 admitted students reception, and the director of the Plan 2 program was one of the professors uh, involved with the Normandy Scholar Program. And he got up and gave his spiel about the Plan 2 program, and at the same time was sort of advocating for people to also participate in Normandy once they were on campus. Sure. Um, and as soon as he got through his five-minute you know, rendition of all the things you got to do and <laughs> study, um, I was sold. That was the the moment that I decided to come to UT in the first place. So I was sort of dead set on seeking out this opportunity. Normandy Scholars is a 15-hour sequence of history courses, so five three-hour classes mm-hmm. that focus on the Second World War from the perspectives of five different countries. Um, that study on campus during the semester is then followed by a month or so long trip um, to the European theater of World War II. So you start in the UK, in London, and then work your way east. Uh, So you do Normandy, Paris, Berlin, Krakow, and Warsaw. Um, At least that's what we did during my iteration of the program. Um, That was sort of the first study experience that I had away from UT's campus Um, I think it's the best way to do study abroad because I was able to do the studying part of study abroad on campus with my friends and still got, you know, that semester of my college experience. Uh, And then the abroad part abroad, while everybody was taking exams, I was visiting history museums and battlefields in Europe. Yeah. Uh, And that was a really meaningful experience for me. So that was one of the really cool things that I got to do. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I'm playing dumb a little bit because, of course, I I know a, a lot of this. I don't think I knew that um, it, it played a part in in you wanting to come to UT. That's that's pretty cool. Um, I, I gotta say, it's definitely one of the coolest like travel experiences I've heard of. Um, I think it's it's so unique that you know a lot of people, myself included, if you go on like a a one week trip to Europe or anywhere in the world, um, it's you kind of think about the things that you want to do there and and make plans, but yeah, I, I never really think to, oh, let me read up ab- about the history of this place or about uh, things that happened here. Um, and so I, th- I think it's really cool that you kind of, you got to get that whole semester of like reading up. And then I'm sure that payoff was was super cool just to get to go see those places and uh, especially with a group. Um, so I'm I'm very jealous and I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Right. Well, I think your appreciation for it is completely elevated to a different level if you've spent the time studying the people and the places and the events, and then have an opportunity to experience the full setting in person later. Um, This is going to be the first of the times when I sort of turn it back around on you, though, Drew. You got to do some pretty cool study abroad things when you were in college, and you have been abroad uh, in both academic and (laughs) non-academic settings. Yes. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> what if I just said that? <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I've been very lucky um, in my whole life to get to do a lot of cool things, but especially, yeah, while I was at UT. Um, yeah, after freshman year, I got to 
go on a, I think maybe six week trip um, with some fellow UT students to France and, and got to live with a host family in, in a city called Lyon. And um, that was a really great experience. And uh, I uh, really enjoyed France, loved the French people. Uh, I know maybe <laughs> you've had different experiences. Uh, Connor and I like to joke about, um, go back and forth about French people and how polite or not polite they may be. Um, well, certainly our experiences <laughs> differed um, in that. So Drew lived in a chateau in, in France when he was there <laughs> for at least some period of time. So it would have been hard for people to be, you know, upset sure. at each other in any way, shape or form. Um, yeah, I lived with we a, spent... a French grandma who cooked this dinner every night in, in her very <laughs> large home. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the differences vary. Right. Um, the time that we spent in Normandy was phenomenal. Um, and I will say it's one of the the friendliest places that I have traveled. Um, my time in Paris was not as similar to that, <laughs> I will say. Um, and I not speaking any French. Um, and even if I tried to fake it, you know, through a very thick American Texan accent, um, <laughs> sort of outed myself quickly. I was not their favorite person um, in Paris. Uh, and they <laughs> didn't mind showing me that outwardly, but um, I don't hold that against them. Sure. Well, I will say of the people I know, you uh, you wear your Texas pride, American pride on your sleeve pretty pretty confidently. And uh, that's that's great uh, here in the, in the U.S., but uh, maybe not the best thing to, to, to boast about in, the, in, in Europe. Um, it's all a matter of degrees, right? Sure. One story that we heard during the Normandy semester was that uh, for the, I believe it was the 50th anniversary of D-Day, um, they had a reunion of service members from the allied nations um, flown back over to Normandy to participate in the ceremony events that were ongoing. Um, And it's possibly apocryphal, but there was one story that um, a U.S. veteran arrived in France without his passport and the airline was attempting to send him back to the United States, Mm. you know, in the, in the days immediately preceding these ceremonies um, and his comment to the French airline worker was, I didn't need a passport the last time I got oh. off the plane here. <laughs> That's um, great. So, yeah, it's hard to argue with that logic, but I think they <laughs> probably did make him go back and get his passport. Sure. Oh, that's great. So we talked a little bit about uh, being at UT. I think I mentioned this, but Connor and I were were roommates for four years. Uh, had a great time. <laughs> we lived in for for two years, which... You could say whether it was a good decision or not, but we lived in basically one giant room uh, in our uh, freshman and sophomore dorm, which was a lot of fun. I, d- I don't know if I'd do it these days, <laughs> but it's interesting to um, we we didn't have so much privacy for those two years, uh, which I, I think <laughs> so- junior and senior year were great. But yeah, you get to know people pretty well when uh, uh, there's no doors. <laughs> yeah, I'm. In talking about our apartment, I'm always kind of reminded there was a um, reporter who asked JFK near the end of his presidency if he had enjoyed his time in the presidency and if he would recommend it to others. Um, and he said, I think it's been you know a good experience for me. And no, I wouldn't recommend it to others. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly how I feel about our living situation. It was it was perfect for us. Uh, yeah. We had a a tremendous time. Yeah, on, I would not recommend that setting to <laughs> anyone else. Yeah, on paper it shouldn't have worked, but somehow uh, we came out uh, even better friends on the other side. Um, so I kind of 
we we talked about it a little bit um what you're up to these days and kind of what you're interested in in terms of like law school but um you know kind of outside of that cuz obviously I mean law school I'm sure is is very busy but it's not your whole life um what kind of things do, are you interested in these days when you put down the books and and you relax or uh yeah I I guess I I'm phrasing it weirdly but uh what what are you into these days I'm sort of laughing at your question a little bit um just because the the sort of status quo for first and second year law students um is the first year it's a lot of time spent just studying and, sure. and just doing the on the ground reading writing um and then you know preparation for exams the second year is still a all-consuming you know time beast yeah um but it's because you've split your time then between extracurriculars that are sort of law school adjacent and the same study obligations that you have in the first year. So one thing that has occupied a lot of my time over the last six to eight months um, has been uh, the Texas Law Review, which is the student sort of uh, flagship journal at Texas Law. Sure. Um, it just celebrated its its 100th birthday, and I was able to go and celebrate that as uh, one of the centennial members on the centennial That's volume. Awesome. Um, but it's very interesting because in most other academic disciplines, you have highly accredited, widely celebrated academics that are making decisions about what gets published and then making sort of editorial choices. Mm -hmm. And in the legal profession, for whatever reason, um, that process is completely spearheaded by students. And so, um, second and third year law students at schools across the United States um, make decisions that influence essentially the kinds of opportunities that professors have for tenure um, and to be published and recognized for the work that they're doing. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a really cool and unique thing about the legal academy relative to other academic disciplines. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I think I might have seen pictures you posted. I, I assumed it was just like a, oh, they must have this law big banquet thing every year. I didn't realize it was like a mm -hmm. 100th anniversary. That's awesome. They they do have it every year. Um, this being the centennial drew a very large crowd. I see. Um, that and the fact that I think the last two years they had to cancel this banquet. So oh, yeah. the last two volumes also, you know, they wanted their day in the sun. And so we had about, I think, 950 people um, attend an event. And I think wow. something like 25 Federal and state judges were in attendance, hundreds of lawyers from across the state and across the country, and then, you know, a good number of current and former law students. So that's awesome. Uh, speaking of sort of uh, <laughs> the past two years, has have your classes been kind of normal, not normal, hybrid? <laughs> How would you describe, g given what I imagine the, uh, the typical experience was before, are you, um, what is it like and how do you like it? Yeah, um, the standard law school experience is very dependent on the in-person learning experience. Right. Um, I don't think that's going to come as a galloping shock <laughs> to anyone. Um, it's sort of set in its ways, and there's a traditional way that it's done. The interruption of COVID definitely required some adapting, mm. largely on the part of the professors, but also you know some on the part of the students as well. And I think that we really made the most of a pretty difficult set of 
you know, challenges. Sure. Um, for my first year, we were sort of half and half in person and remote. We had classes that normally um, would have seen maybe 100 to 125 students participating in a lecture reduced mm. down to 50 or so with strict seating charts and sure. social distancing within these larger rooms. Um, so I only had class with the same 50 to 60 people for the majority of my first year classes, which um, is atypical given the the whole experience. You sure. would at least have about twice as many people participating in those discussions. But, you know, all in all, I was just happy to have the opportunity to do this thing sure. um, despite the circumstances. And frankly, if I was going to pick a couple of years to get locked inside and study <laughs> while my friends otherwise would have had the opportunity to go and, you know, be enjoying their yeah. young professional lives. This was a pretty good time <laughs> for that to happen. So, yeah. um, you know, I really didn't have any FOMO while other people <laughs> were off doing cool things because everyone was stuck doing the same thing I was doing, sure. whether they liked it or not. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, one last question about law school, and only because mm -hmm. uh, I've talked to you about this before, but is there a, a professor or a class that you've really enjoyed that maybe you didn't expect to, or, or what's been like a really interesting thing maybe about law school that, that you've been, your, your favorite class or professor? Sure. Um, well, I have the opportunity this semester to TA for uh, one of the professors I had in my first year oh, cool. of law school. Um, so I'm, I'm TAing for uh, my contracts professor. And um, in that role, I am leading a small section of first year students um, answering questions and then giving feedback on weekly assignments uh, and then meeting fairly regularly with, with this professor to discuss, you know, what's going on in the class and sure. how we can be helping students along better. Um, I will say, I think that my experience teaching the subject matter um, has been enlightening in that I have to really know what I'm talking about in order to be able to teach it, mm. uh, which I'm sure you can echo from your own experience teaching yeah, yeah. that, you know, for class, I could come well enough prepared to participate in a discussion. There is an entirely different bar that you need to elevate to in order to be able to lead a discussion sure. um, and to answer, you know, these, these are not schmucks. They're really intelligent and motivated students who have good questions. And so trying to anticipate what those are and prepare for them has been um, a challenge, but one that I've really enjoyed so far. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I could echo what you were saying. Uh, and uh, yeah, another one of my international experiences for anyone who doesn't know, I, Got to be a Peace Corps volunteer for about a year and a half, uh, uh, 2018 to 2020. And uh, my primary assignment was teaching English in a local middle school uh, in a country called Togo, where the natural, national language was French. Uh, and so, yeah, if you come into something thinking, oh, yeah, I speak English, that means I know how to teach English <laughs> to middle schoolers, um, you're quickly disabused of that <laughs> notion. Um, and yeah, it's... It's interesting. Uh, definitely gives you an appreciation for teaching, and and um, <laughs> it's cool to get to um, to to really understand more so because it it kind of shows you things maybe you didn't realize. Because when you're learning something, uh, you're more focused on the subject matter. So it's cool to kind of see. It kind of gave me a an interesting perspective on like the flip side of it when I was learning French as a middle schooler, and I could look back and think, oh, I understand why this teacher took this approach and, and 
why this was extra important to focus on first. And um, yeah, I, I, you definitely definitely come away with a greater appreciation for teachers. Um, I'll stop bugging you about law school, but I it's it's cool to hear what you're up to, and um, it sounds like a an interesting time. I I want to kind of wrap up here with, by asking you if you've got any any kind of media, books, TV, movies, music that you've listened to recently that you really enjoyed. Maybe you want to shout out. Um, I'm always looking to to find new stuff, and I I, I think you've got great taste, and I've, I'm interested in what you're into these days. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of lead by telling you a story um, of something that happened just about maybe an hour or two ago. Oh, wow. Um, so my favorite band is the Turnpike Troubadours, mm -hmm. which Drew probably knows because he had to listen to it, you know, on <laughs> every, repeat, every time you're in Connor's car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was distraught for a long period of time because um, they announced sort of an indefinite hiatus while we were still in undergrad. Mm -hmm. And um, my, you know, Christmas miracle this year was that they started, there were rumblings that they were going to start making moves to get back together, um, touring again sure. and putting out new music. And so I was really excited about that. And um, they announced shortly thereafter that their first several shows back were going to be at venues that were of special importance to the band, which is a really cool sort of comeback moment way to reintroduce yourself to, you know, this yeah. band base. Um, so those three venues were Kane's Ballroom, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, and is sort of the spiritual home of the Turnpike Troubadours. Cool. Uh, the second is Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. And the third one is Floor's Country Store, uh, which is just outside of San Antonio. Mm. Um, and I'm not the only one that was really excited about this. And so the tickets for these shows were hard to come by. And the resale market sent the prices for these tickets skyrocketing. Mm. And I tried at every opportunity to get tickets when they went on sale originally. And um, when the tickets went on sale for the show at Canes, which is this coming weekend, mm. um, I was able to sort of get through the initial portal and then had some technological problem, you know, halfway through that kicked me out of the system before I could actually buy my tickets. Mm. And so out of a, you know, just had to throw the Hail Mary pass, I emailed Kane's Ballroom and said, I had this issue and, you know, I realize you're probably getting a lot of these emails today. I'm sure, it's nothing you did. The system was overloaded, but just wanted to bring it to your attention. You know, if there's any way you can help me, let me know. And I got a really nice email back immediately that said, you're not the only one that had problems. Um, so we're really sorry about that, but don't hold your breath. Hmm. Um, about an hour and a half ago, I got an email from Kane's Ballroom asking if I would purchase two tickets for the Saturday show this week. Nice. Um, <laughs> and so I will be one of the handful of people in attendance uh, at the second um, Kane's Ballroom show. Wow. And I'm stoked. That's awesome. Um, Congrats. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I... Um, got these tickets sort of, you know, in hand and then called my brother, um, who's in Dallas right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be driving up to Dallas, uh, on Friday of this week. And then he and I will be driving up to Tulsa from there on Saturday, uh, so that we can, we can see this show together. But I um. guess if there's a takeaway <laughs> from that, it's, yeah. you know, if you have experienced a technological problem and would like to let someone know that you had that problem, frame it in a friendly way <laughs> don't you know yeah. I, i'm sure that if i had yelled at them they would not have been very motivated to help me out and sure. 
you know, lo and behold, several days before the concert was meant to happen, um, I got this, you know, gift from above. So very appreciative about that. But nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So would recommend listening to any music from the Turnpike Troubadours. Also, um, I'm sure Drew would tell you that uh, he had to listen to a lot of Flatland Cavalry as well. <laughs> sure. um, they have just released um, some new music. It's it's recordings of music that they've already put out, but more of an acoustic variety. And they're really good. They're all available on YouTube and I'm sure Spotify now as well. Um, so those are my recommendations. Nice. That's that's so cool. Congrats. Uh, I'm glad you're getting to see them because I, I know we've talked before about um how how <laughs> that how they're coming back and how cool it would be to see them so um yeah. cool that you get to go bummer that you have to go to Oklahoma but uh, what can you do <laughs> <laughs> small price to pay and I'll be all <laughs> sure um I'll say this this past weekend was the Grammys I don't know if you saw and uh John Baptiste won best album of the year which came as a surprise to a lot of people uh myself included but it's a great album. I'm I'm so happy for him. I I'm normally not very into award shows, uh, but I I think it's really cool when maybe a lesser known artist gets appreciated like that, and then a lot of people go check out their stuff. So I I think that if any if award shows serve any purpose these days, it's that. Um, so if you haven't heard that album yet or anything by John Baptiste, he's I definitely recommend going and checking that out. Um, yeah, I I. I want to say thank you for for joining me. This has been really great. Uh, I I know a lot of this stuff, but it's cool too. Uh, I I feel like every time we talk, I I learn a little bit more about the stuff you're up to, and uh, and I, I wish you well and your <laughs> the rest of your law school journey. Um, yeah. I, before I kind of wrap things up, is there anything else you wanted to uh, touch on or talk about? Yeah, I I would sort of be remiss if I didn't mention uh, two more things um, that are really more reflective of undertakings from my fellow law school classmates, but I think bear mentioning. Sure. Um, the first one is um, one of my friends in law school, uh, Bola, uh, is the co-founder of a nonprofit called the Two Fly Foundation, and they help to um, sponsor black and brown students who otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity to travel abroad um, and help give them uh, sort of funding and opportunities to do that. They were recently featured on the Kelly Clarkson show. Oh, wow. She and the other co-founder were. Um, and got in aggregate a hundred thousand dollars, um, as part of that appearance to continue doing the incredible work that they're doing. Um, but would love to use this platform and your platform to bring more attention and support to them as they continue to do that, that work. That's um, awesome. and then one of my other sort of dear friends in law school was recently diagnosed with leukemia mm. and, uh, is starting down the, the process of treatment and recovery for that. Um, but one of the things that everyone can do to support both him and other people who are going through this um, is to go to uh, be the match.org mm. and sign up to become a stem cell uh, donor. So you're just placed on a donor registry. They send you a, a test kit. Um, it's all pretty, you know, seamless and straightforward process. Um, sure. But I have ordered my test kit to be added to this donor list um, sort of in solidarity and support with him. So um, would encourage your listeners to do the same. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for uh, for uh, highlighting those. I want to say thank you first and foremost to Connor for joining me uh, again, giving me some of his precious time because I know he's very busy. Uh, thank you to anybody who's listening, friends of ours. I hope you enjoyed and, and, and were interested in this. Um, and uh, yeah, again, to our future selves, I hope uh, I hope this was 
fun to listen to. Um, yeah. Anything else? I, I, other than that, I, I'm ready to uh, kind of wrap things up. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. Of course. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye.